0: All right, I'm going to read now from Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give this land, to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the LORD said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. From the river of Egypt, to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cabmanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. May God now bless the reading and preaching of His holy and perfect Word. When a man loves a woman and he wants to marry her, uh, what does he very often, almost all the time, in fact, in our culture, uh, give to her? Uh, he gives to her, well, actually she gives to him this one, but he gives to her <laughs> a ring, a ring. Uh, why does he do this, right? Why, what is the purpose of doing that? Is The ring is a symbol, and it is meant to convey a message to strengthen and to confirm with a visible sign what he promises with his word. The promises the husband makes through his vows uh, to his wife, they're strengthened. They're further confirmed by the sign that he gives to her, the ring. And in the passage here with us today, that is what God is doing. That is what God is doing. God has made his promises to Abraham and in a Very unique ceremony that we have to look at and try to understand more. God gives Abraham a glorious sign to confirm to him. If you notice, you look through here, Abraham keeps keeps asking the question, how can I know? How can I know? How can I know you really love me? How can I know you're going to do what I say? And so that's what we'll see. Uh, Already back in chapter 12, God made a promise. He promised in chapter 12, he makes the covenant, he says, I will be yours, you will be mine. There is a marital idea there. And so God is going to, uh, just like with the giving of the ring, give a certain sign to Abraham. Now look with me at how just God does this, how he confirm, confirms, how he strengthens, how he ratifies. And that is the idea of ratifying. It's not uh, he makes the covenant with Abraham here, but be- the better idea, the translation of the ASV, would be he-, he strengthens, he confirms, he ratifies that covenant that he had already made with Abraham back in chapter 12. Now, notice the very first words that the chapter begins with in verse 1 Fear not, fear not, do not be afraid. Now, when you hear the words fear not, what should you be asking? Well, you should be asking, well, oh, oh, Abraham was afraid. Why was he afraid? What was he afraid of? Well, he was afraid because, again, I've mentioned chapter 12, chapter 15, uh, in between the time that God made the promises back in chapter 12, and now it's, it's really years and years later. He was 75 back in chapter 12, and now he is sometime in his 80s. None of the promises have come, come to be yet. So Abraham is beginning to fear that perhaps uh, nothing will come of these promises. Will they, in fact, come into being? God has promised him offspring. He's now in his 80s. How many offspring does he have? Zero. Zero offspring. The land was promised. How much land does he have? Zero. Zero land. And so Abraham begins to fear that God's promises will not come to pass. He has not utterly lost faith, but you see he does begin to have doubts and he does begin to have fears. And so God comes to Abraham or Abram, I should say, uh, and he says, "Fear not, fear not." And immediately after that, he says this, "I am your shield. I am your shield." It's very interesting that God should use the language of shield here. Why would he use the language of shield? Well, if you're familiar with uh, the various steps in the book of Genesis, you'll know that actually right before this chapter, Abram came from a battle. There was a great battle in the previous chapter where Abram went out uh, to war to rescue his nephew Lot. And undoubtedly, Among other things, what he would have taken to battle with him would have been what? It would have been a shield, a sword and a shield. But now God says to him, I, I am your shield. Do not fear. Your ultimate protection, your ultimate provision is going to come from something and someone much greater than the shield you arm yourself with. And after saying, fear not, Abram, I am your shield, some of your translations uh, translate the rest of verse 1. ESV does, uh, at least in the top, I think it translates... Uh, 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 no, it actually doesn't even give the variant down there at the bottom. But, but anyways, uh, the ESV even says, uh, I will be your very great reward. A number of other translations translate it this way. Uh, or, or No, uh, the ESV says, your reward shall be very great. But that's the way other translations translate it. I will be your very great reward. Do you see the difference? There's quite a bit of a difference between saying, I'm going to give you a very great reward. But I believe what God is saying here is in fact, I am the great reward that I'm going to give to you. My goal, it's always been from the beginning when I created humanity, my goal has always been to confer myself to you. The ultimate gift, the ultimate blessing. God cannot give anything greater to his people than himself. Abram, to possess me and to have fellowship with me is to have the greatest blessing a human being can have, possessing God and being possessed by God. That, that is at the very heart. There is nothing more central to true religion than that. That is at the heart of what we mean when we talk about covenant. So let me say that again. Possessing God and being possessed by God, that is at the very heart of biblical religion. And this idea in the covenant where God, where God says, I shall be yours, you shall be mine. I will be your God, you shall be my people. I give myself to you, you give yourself to me. It is essentially a marriage, is it not? And that is, of course, why We are told in the new covenant and the fulfillment of it, we are the very bride of Jesus Christ. Now you would think that uh, this wonderful sermon (laughs) that God comes and preaches to Abraham, a short sermon, but what a more powerful sermon could you have than this? You would think that that would be uh, comforting to him and take away all of his fears, uh, but the fears persist. Uh, Look at what we see in verses two through four. Abram said, Oh Lord, What will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Well, we saw uh, uh, that God first combats Abram's fear. He says, Fear not. And he says, I am your shield, your very great reward. He first combats Abram's fear with his word. Now, as Abraham doubts, What does God combat those doubts with? Again, the promise of his own word. Listen to what uh, we hear in verse four. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said, so shall your offspring be. Can you imagine that? He took Abram out into the night sky, not a night sky like our, you know, like we live in, in the fourth largest city in the uh, United States, and, and if you're downtown, you can see pretty much nothing at night. But if you go out in a place like Abram was, and it's, there's, there's no smog, and there's no city lights, and you look up, and it's a glorious uh, show of lights in the heavens. Look at all these stars. I created every one of them. I call every one of these stars by name. I, the Sovereign Lord of creation, I effortlessly spoke them into existence and I'm the one who made this promise to you. Count the stars if you are able to. So shall your offspring be. Think about the magnitude of that. I am the one who made all these and I will make your offspring as numerous as these. And what was Abram's response? He was stunned. He believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That beautiful verse, verse 6. I hope you realize that verse uh, is quoted a ta- uh, numerous times by Paul in Romans and in Galatians. It concerns the doctrine of justification. Uh, justification is not just the taking away of the guilt of our sin, it doesn't put us back to zero. <laughs> In justification, we receive righteousness. We are credited with God's righteousness. Absolutely, we become absolutely, completely, and perfectly righteous in God's sight. And that's what Abraham receives here. Paul tells us in Romans and in Galatians, he believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abram is justified here, not by doing anything, but simply receiving and believing God's promise to Him. Justification, being declared righteous before God. It's the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's always, always by faith and by faith alone. There's not one way to be justified in the New Testament and another in the Old, but it's by faith alone from beginning to end. Have you believed God? Have you believed in God's promises found in Abram's greater son, Jesus Christ? Have you believed that God has counted as righteousness to you uh, the, the very same righteousness that Abram received by faith? A faith which looked forward to the Messiah. Make sure that you answer that question. Make sure that you're not thinking, oh, that's a question for someone else to answer, but not for me. It is for you to answer. But what's so fascinating is that even still after God, you know, uh, fear not. And he tells him he's a shield and he's a reward. Uh, and then he says, well, how shall I know? And he takes him outside and shows him all the stars, the, the mighty power of God. He still doubts. <laughs> he is still not free from doubt, is he? Look at verse 7. He says, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How am I to know that I shall possess it? He's still not quite completely sure. How can I be really, really, really certain? And so even though Abraham just believed and is justified by faith, still like us, he has doubts. He struggles. He has struggle in his life. It is not utter doubt, by the way. It's not utter disbelief. But It is a struggle of belief. He believes, but his faith is weak. He has a wavering faith. And so he says, he cries out to God, God help me. How can I be even more certain? It's a very gracious God who would give further certainty. I mean, he, as, as uh, the writer of Hebrews says, he, can, he, can, he can't make any oath greater than by swearing by himself. And yet, exact, this, that is exactly what God does here. He, Gives further confirmation. And and here's where we come to this whole covenant ratification ceremony that I have been speaking about. This ceremony is accompanied with symbols, and it was intended to combat Abram's doubts, the persistent doubts that he had. And so, what does God tell Abram uh, to do? Uh, what he tells him to do appears very strange at first, very strange indeed, especially to our modern ears. He tells Abram to take a heifer, a goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. By the way, uh, all of these animals uh, would have been very familiar to the hearers, those who had received uh, or were receiving the Levitical system would have been very familiar to those people. And he tells Abram to take these animals and to cut them in half and to lay one half over here and another over there And um, so that there's a a pathway, kind of a roadway between these two pieces of the animals. And what in the world is going on here? Well, Abram would have understood what was a very common thing in the ancient uh, Near Eastern culture, that when you wanted to make a covenant with someone, you would do this. It's a way of showing how serious something is and how serious you are. And this was especially the case if it was a, a great king, And a lesser king, especially if the great king had come and defeated the lesser one, and says, now you're mine, and you do what I say, and and if you go along with this, everything's going to work out great for you. Uh, But if not, you know, here's what's going to happen. And and if you you walk through these pieces and swear loyalty to me, and great. But if you do not keep your covenant with me, the pieces that you walk through, that's you. (laughs) That's what's going to happen to you. Uh, By the way, uh, we do not have to go outside of the Bible and look to the extra biblical documents, which there are a lot of them that testify to this. This same understanding of what these pieces mean is in the Bible itself. I won't read it, but later you can look at Jeremiah 34, 18 and 19. And in that passage, God reminds Israel that uh, Israel, uh, once the leaders at least, walked through the pieces of the cut calf. And God says that in doing so, they were invoking curses on themselves to to be made just like that calf if they broke his covenant. So it's very important. Sometimes people say, well, we don't know that this is what these animals were about. But even the Bible tells us that that is so. But what Abram sees next is very, very different from what we see in any of those ancient Near Eastern treaties or even elsewhere in the Bible. It's very different. What does he see normally? As I said, the great king would uh, make his vassal king uh, walk through those pieces. On occasion, both parties would walk through the pieces. But here, Abram sees a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passing through the pieces. Why the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch? Uh, in, in, one, in a word, why smoke and fire It's smoke and fire because that is the form God commonly takes in the Old Testament to present himself to his people. I said a moment ago, those who received this word from Moses would have recognized the animals. They would have recognized the smoke and fire too because where did God present himself to the same people who were receiving these five books? God presented himself on the mountain. And so we read in Exodus 19, 18, listen to this. Sounds a lot like Genesis 15. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke, because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. Smoke and fire. God presented himself to Abram in a temporary visible form through the smoking firepot and the flaming torch. And, and and what was God doing then when God uh, through these through this revelation walks through these pieces? He's saying, Abram, I'm so committed to keep my covenant promises to you that I will fulfill. Abram keeps saying, how can I be sure? How can I be sure? How, How can I know? And God says, this will happen even if it means me being cut in two. Even if that's what it should take, it will happen. Well, did it ever come to that? It did come to that. It did come to that. That, in fact, was ultimately what was required. God had to be cut in two. God had to have the sword fall upon him in order for these promises to come upon Abram. We read in Isaiah 53, verse 8, the servant of the Lord is spoken of this way, by oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off? out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. Yes, the oath that God made that he would, he would allow himself to be cut in two, cut off in order to bring these promises to Abram and his children. It happened. It actually happened. In order to keep that oath, Jesus Christ was cut off from the land of the living upon the cross. Jesus Christ was cut in two by the sword of God's justice. It's very interesting. Colossians 2 verse 11 refers to um, the cross as a kind of circumcision. You know, the circumcision is also the sign of the sword, the cutting, the threat of judgment. And Colossians eleven two 2 refers to the cross as a kind of circumcision which Jesus Christ underwent. Why did Jesus Christ have to be cut off? Why did he have to be cut in two in order to receive the blessings promised? Why did Christ have to be cut by the sword of God's justice so that God might become our very great reward? What is this? Is because a holy God can never dwell with a sinful people. Because God is holy, he can never fellowship with a sinful people. After, after Adam and Eve sinned, there was what what appeared guarding the way back to God's presence, a flaming sword. A sword was placed at the entrance of the Garden of Eden in order to regain communion with God. That sword must be faced. And that is what God is showing Abram here in in this passage. There's a real connection between Genesis 3.24, the flaming sword of God's justice, and the sword that is unsheathed and cuts these animals, and then God walks through those pieces here. As God walks through the pieces, He pledges for all who trust in Him that He, He, and not them, will walk through these pieces. Again, the ordinary, the ordinary thing in the ancient Near, Eastern, ancient Near Eastern culture is that the servant walks through the pieces. Not the Lord, but here the Lord, the Master, the Maker of the Covenant, walks to the pieces. And what is Abram doing? He's over there asleep. He's, he's, he's perceiving this in a strange way. that we, We're not quite sure that God uh, allowed him to, in this deep darkness, overcame him. And yet, all this is happening and he's perceiving it somehow. Fear not, Abram. I will be your shield. I will shield you from the sword of my own justice due to you for your sin. I will shield you. And in doing so, I will become your great reward. On the cross, God becomes our shield by placing His own Son under the sword of His justice. Jesus Christ is cut off from the land of the living. And only if that happens, only if Jesus Christ is cut off from the land of the living, only if He faces the sword seen in this passage, can we possess God as our very great reward. That is the picture that Abram is being presented with as he sees God walking through the pieces. And my friends, isn't that glorious? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't what is depicted here beyond anything we could ever imagine, beyond all human imagination? How can it be? How can these blessings, these great blessings, uh, how, how can it be? Blessings, which are quite costly, which cost the Son of God everything. God does everything. You and I, we do not walk between these pieces. God takes this death walk for you and for me. Securing of these blessings, it does not threaten your life. It threatens our Lord and costs him everything. Consider this passage from Matthew 27 45, uh, which again shows the similarity between the, the deep darkness that came and fell upon this event. And what happened to our Lord Jesus Christ? Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And Through that darkness, and through facing the sword of the cross, Jesus Christ gains for us our very great reward, even God himself. That is good news. The greatest of all news. Unless, of course, you do not trust in this God to face the sword of justice for you. And then it is not good news. It is not good news if you are not facing him to, uh, trusting him to face that sword for you, because that means you must face that sword. <laughs> you must face that sword forever and ever and ever. And so my plea and my call for everyone here is, if you have not done so, look to the one who is cut off for your sake, who will give you life by enduring his own the the curse of his own covenant for your sake. Look to him and possess him and have him as your life and your reward as he suffers for you. As I close, let me say this. uh, The strongest Christian in the room here, I don't know who that would be, only the Lord would know, uh, is still someone who struggles with doubt. The world, your own flesh, your enemy, the devil, they are all railing against you day by day saying, you fool. for for following the Bible and uh, walking according to things that you cannot see. Look at the things that you can see, the things which are of this world. Trust in those things. Don't walk by faith. Walk by what you see. These are the powers that wage against your soul. And so how is the fear and the doubt that will creep into your life and my life to be overcome? Well, just as it is overcome in Abram's life. Your fear and your doubt are overcome as the word of the Lord comes to you, as you hear the word of the Lord. Where do you principally hear the word of the Lord? Of course, even in a place like this, it is in preaching. Therefore give yourself diligently to the hearing of the word of God preached. Listen to it, Uh, hide it up in your hearts and practice it in your lives. Take notes, pile up questions for the preacher. Master, the preaching of the word of God. But if you, just like Abraham, hear the word, and then you still doubt, and you still struggle, what do you do? Uh, God ratifies his covenant with signs, just like he did for Abraham. He gave Abraham a kind of sign here. There's a sort of sacramental quality. What's what's going on in Genesis 15? Does he do that for you? You better believe it. He gives us signs, and we do call them sacraments. There are two of them for us. Uh, Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Make use of these. These are great witnesses in your life. You know, when we come to the Lord's Supper, it's it's as if we, um, God is saying, uh, taste, touch, see that the Lord is good. Remember, uh, let let your senses be reminded of the truthfulness of my covenant. Let them confirm my promise to you. Make use of the Lord's Supper. Make use of your baptism. The Puritans, in fact, our own confession of faith says that we are to improve our baptism. It's like explaining that to people. Oh, improve it. It Was something defective about it the first time? No, it wasn't defective, but it means you are to make use of it. You are to revisit it in your mind. You remember that I passed through the waters of baptism. I passed through the waters of judgment with Jesus Christ and have been buried with Him in death and raised with Him to newness of life. Those waters flowed over me. You may not remember if you're like a covenant children. You talk to your parents. You talk to your parents. Maybe I'm just talking to my kids tonight, but talk to your parents. What was it like when I was baptized? And when I received those promises, you should do that. When you doubt God's promises, even after hearing His word, go to those confirming signs he has given you. Overcome your fear and your doubt the same way Abram did. First, give yourself diligently to the preaching of the word. Hear and believe. Believe, and it will be credited to you as righteousness. Make every effort to have your faith strengthened by the means God has provided those covenant signs, the Lord's Supper, and even your own baptism. Amen. Our great God, we thank you for our Forefather Abram, who is like us in some ways, unlike us in others, in many ways we see that we are the same as him. We fear, we doubt, we need to have the confirmation of your word come to us. That is certain and sure ground. And yet we are, as Calvin likes to say, like a tottering fence that needs to be propped up on every side. And therefore you give us even further confirmations of the sacraments. And so strengthen that weak, tottering faith of ours. It, it's, it's comforting that when we see a titan of the faith like Abraham, um, even struggling here, that as we struggle, we can come to you and ask you to, to confirm and strengthen what you have promised. We look to Jesus Christ, the one who in did indeed take on the threat laid out here, that those promises would come to Abram's posterity even if it entailed God himself being cut off and cut in two with the sword of your justice, O Lord. And that happened. We thank you for that. And therefore, may we revisit the cross and remember that those promises, every single one of them, are guaranteed to us by Christ's death and his resurrection. Strengthen us and cause us now to be useful in your kingdom. Useful. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.